0: You're listening to audio from Highland Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. To find out more about Highland, go to www.hbcwaco.org. You can be seated, and good morning to 10 o'clock. Thank you for braving the winter storm of 2023 and being here today. We're in a series called Great is Thy Faithfulness, and we have this incredible treasure of having the sermon notes from our very first pastor back in the 1920s that were given to his grandson and then let us borrow them for for this series. What I'm doing for four weeks is re-preaching sermons that were preached to the Highland family uh, 100 years ago and just being reminded one more time that God's word still stands, that the the grass can wither, the flowers may fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And so we're so excited today to to be able to um, unpack this, this thought of the faithfulness of God being so great I mean, throughout every generation, but certainly for the 100 years of this, of this Highland family. Last week, I showed you a picture. Let me show you a picture again of our founding pastor, Ari e. Smith. Um, he came here in 1923 as a 57-year-old. He'd already been a pastor at several churches. The 43 original members asked him to serve as the pastor here. He stepped in and just did an, an amazing job. He, he, was, he served for 17 years as pastor here. Began with those 43 people by the time uh, he retired in 1940. Um, there were over four hundred people that were gathering at Highland, and again, some of his sermon notes we actually have in the lobby. We have a centennial museum out there that we've updated e- even since last week. You may want to take some time just to see some of the incredible words that were given to to the Highland family a um, hundred years ago. Really glad again that you're here today let's go to the book of, of Nahum. I'll give you about twenty five minutes to find it. it's in the Old Testament um, it's six books from the very end of the Old Testament so if you can find Matthew in the New Testament just Hook a left, six books that way. So backwards, it would be uh, Malachi, Zechariah, uh, Haggai, Zephaniah, Habakkuk, and Nahum. It's really hard to say the books of the Bible backwards, but six, six books from the end of the Old Testament. And let's get there, the book of, of Nahum. we will be in Nahum chapter one this morning. Hope you have your copy of God's word. Um, if you have a hard time finding it, there's never any shame going to the table of contents, at the beginning of your Bible as well, and figuring out what page it's on. Nahum chapter one. We're gonna read just verse one to start with today. Nahum one one, an oracle concerning Nineveh, the book of the vision of Nahum of Elkosh. <laughs> Let's stop right there. But well, we learned just a little bit about this book and about its author just here in in, in verse one. The very first um, or the second word, actually in the ESV, is, is the word oracle. The very interest, first interesting word, the word oracle. The word oracle here just means it's a message given from God through Nahum. So Nahum would become the the oracle or, or the messenger. It's a report from God through God's messenger to, 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 to the people of God or to the listeners of, of this message from God. It was usually a burdensome report or a heavy report. In fact, some of your translations, more modern day translations, they don't use the word oracle. They say a burden, a burden concerning Nineveh. So God is passing this this message along to Nahum, who is then gonna send it out, and it's regarding uh, Nineveh. Nineveh is the capital of the Assyrian Empire. Uh, The Assyrians have conquered Israel. They they conquered Israel in 722 BC. Um, The Assyrian Empire would be kind of northeast of Israel. And so Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. You may recognize the name of Nineveh, it's where Jonah went. Well, it's where Jonah eventually went after he disobeyed first. He went to Nineveh. You may remember this story. And he called the Ninevites to repentance. Called them to turn from their wicked ways and to turn to God. And you may remember that they did. They, they repented of their sin and they turned to God. So this is 150 years Later so you probably could call Nahum Jonah part two, because we 're going to pick up now 150 years later, and in that 150 year time frame, Nineveh has since gone back to its wicked ways they, they have turned their back on God that they, they, they have, have gone uh, back into their, their times of idolatry and, and, and all it took was three generations. it doesn't take long, does it for a nation to turn away from God the Assyrians and the Ninevites are ruthless people. If your Bible is open, I hope it is, because we're just getting started, you can let your eyes go down to verse 9 of chapter 1, and it says that they were plotting against the Lord. And the same thing is said in verse 11, the Ninevites, the Assyrians, they were plotting against the Lord. You can jump to chapter 2, and you see in chapter 2, verse 2, that they were plunderers. In other words, they just destroyed everything that was in their path. You can look at chapter 3, verse 1, and see that they were bloodthirsty. They were, they were liars. Um, the Assyrians would enslave entire nations, they were unbelievably cruel. History records for us when the Assyrian army went down to, um, to Egypt in 633 BC, they took the Egyptian soldiers who lived through battle and hung them up on a pole. I know we have kids here, so I'll use my, my language carefully. They filleted the, the, the Egyptian soldiers. These were cruel, barbaric, godless people. And we also see in, here in verse 1, so not only is it concerning Nineveh or the Ninevites, that we see a little bit about, about Nahum here. He's from, uh, from Elkosh which most theologians believe was somewhere near the Sea of Galilee, that he came from from that area, where where Jesus would be hundreds of years later, kind of the the central headquarters of of Jesus, right there around the the Sea of Galilee. In fact, the word Capernaum that you might recognize from the New Testament, Capernaum is there on the north side of the Sea of Galilee. Capernaum means the house of Nahum. Um, Kepher means village, uh, Nahum, Nahum. So Kepher, Nahum, Capernaum, is the house or the village, the place of, of Nahum. So perhaps Nahum lived right around that area. So we, we see that this is a word from God through Nahum to the Ninevites who were, who were godless, who had turned back to their old ways. And, and here is Nahum, this, this, this prophet from a small little town, Elkosh, it's not there anymore. They can't find it anywhere. Verse two, the Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes refuge on his adversaries and keeps wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power and the Lord will by no means clear the guilty his way is in whirlwind and storm and the clouds are the dust of his feet he rebukes the sea and makes it dry he dries up all the rivers Bashan and Carmel wither the bloom of Lebanon withers the mountains quake before him the hills melt the earth heaves before him the world and all who dwell in it who can stand before his indignation who can endure the heat of his anger, his wrath is poured out like fire, and the rocks are broken into pieces by him. These are the words of God through Nahum for the Ninevites. I think I can wrap up verses two through verse six with this statement, "He's not happy." Like God is not happy that these, these people who are not, by the way, they're not Israelites. They were not God's promised people, but at one point in their history, 150 years before, they had turned to God. But now they've turned away again from God. But even in that, did you see this? There's a very interesting little phrase here in verse 3, the beginning of verse 3. Even in this, you begin to see the grace of God because it says at the beginning of verse 3, the Lord is slow to anger. So for 150 years, God has been slow to anger toward the Ninevites. But now his justice and his wrath is about to boil over on them. Verses three through verse six, we see the awesome power of of God. Let's just go back and look at that Um, uh, again. The middle of verse three, the Lord will by no means clear the guilty. God's way is in whirlwind and storm. The clouds become the very dust of his feet. God speaks to the sea. He rebukes the sea. He's able to dry up the sea. He can dry up all the rivers. Uh, Bashan and Carmel would be, if you will, the, the fruitful plains of, of Israel. The, the place where, where fruit was harvested. It was a, a place of bounty. It was a place, it was a food-giving, um, life-giving to, to plains that gave a lot of food to the Israelites. And so he says here that Bashan and Carmel, that they're gonna wither the bloom of Lebanon, the flowers of Lebanon, they're gonna wither. That the mountains will quake before him. The hills are gonna melt before this God. And I love this word, the earth heaves. Um, That is what you think it is. It's the word in Hebrew, nassah, and it means to to lift up and down in, in sickness or in torment. And so you think about when when we feel like we need to heave, like that's exactly what happens to our stomach. It begins to lift up and down in sickness, lift up and down in torment. So that same word is used right here that the earth is just lifting up and down in in, in the suffering, in the days of of suffering. And then verse verse six, who can stand before the wrath of God? Who can stand before the indignation of God? Who can endure the heat of his anger? His his wrath is like, like fire and the rocks are broken into pieces. We see that in verse six. But then in stark contrast, look at Nahum chapter one, verse seven. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in him. So this verse is a reminder to God's people of his inclination toward them, his posture toward those who are his Here's how Ari Smith preached this sermon 100 years ago. Everything you see on the screen from here on out comes from his outline from Nahum chapter one, verse seven. By the way, he called this sermon three glorious things about God. First of all, God is good. It's, It's not just what he does, it's who he is. It's not that the Lord just does good things, although the Lord does do good things, but in his very essence, his very character, is that he is a good God, as so we see here in verse seven, that the Lord, Yahweh, the maker of heaven and earth, he is good. Now, R.E. Smith has just three points to this sermon, but several sub-points. They must have loved sub-points back in the 1920s, because here's a couple of sub-points for, for point number one. This is God's attribute we don't consider unless it were gone. And about the goodness of God. we I, I wonder sometimes if we just... We revel in it so much and we expect it so much that we forget that it's even there. But if God were to ever withdraw his goodness, oh, we would, we would know it. God's goodness is a little bit like the offensive line of a football team. You don't know what's there unless it malfunctions. Then you realize that you know, something is, is missing, something is awry. We don't often think about how sustaining and how rich and how valuable and how needful God's goodness is. And if it ever left us, and by the way, Christian, it won't because his goodness and his mercy will follow us all the days of our lives but but if god's goodness were to be gone life would be so empty if god's goodness were ever to be extracted from our lives our life would be so our lives would be so difficult the world around us would be so void so so desolate can you imagine life painted without the goodness of god this is god's attribute we don't consider unless it were gone here's the second subpoint he had under number 1 god's goodness gives intrinsic value to his recipients. Um, You have value here today, certainly because you were created in the image of God, but Ari Smith's submission to you, and I would submit this to you as well, you also have value because God has displayed his goodness to you. He wisely said that one of the reasons we have value is because God has shown his goodness to his people. We are the beneficiaries of the acts of goodness, goodness of the Lord toward his people. Probably in our world today, we say that you have value if you can produce for society or you have value if you can make some money, you have value if you have a lot of friends, good friends, you have value if you have good health or good grades or a good family or good relationships around you or a good future. But have you considered before that you have value because God has displayed his goodness towards you? We have intrinsic value because God loves to display his goodness towards you. 3rd subpoint he had is God's goodness will be a main attraction in heaven. I love this one. One of the things we're gonna love to do in heaven is to be that much nearer to his goodness and maybe watch him display his goodness to those who are still on earth. Now, to be near, not just to him doing good things, but to the very essence of him being good. I mean, streets of gold, awesome. Getting to see my grandmother again, incredible. Getting to meet Paul and Timothy and Mary, amazing. Can't wait. But the warmth and delight of scooting up close to the goodness of God is gonna be one of the main attractions of of heaven. Even when I began to write out the sermon this week, I was reminded that when Ari Smith stood up and preached this message 100 years ago to the 50, 60, 80, 100 people at, at Highland, he was preaching this very point, God's goodness will be a main attraction in heaven. He preached it in the 1920s. He's experiencing it in the 2020s. The, the, the same preacher is now scooting up close and delighting in the goodness of God. God's goodness will be a main attraction in heaven. And fourthly, by God's grace, we distribute goodness to others. So it's not just that we get to receive the goodness Of God, That that would be incredible. But we receive the goodness of God, and then by God's grace, we're able to distribute that goodness on to to others. We get to receive God's goodness and then pass it along. You know, love isn't love until you give it away, and I think it's the same thing. We don't truly understand the goodness of God until we're good toward others. And we express goodness toward others in the same measure God has expressed his goodness toward us. One of the ways that we're gonna celebrate our 100 years this year Um, in two weeks this year, 2023, as the the people of, of Highland, the family of faith at Highland, is to pass goodness along. I mean, just think 100 years of God's generosity toward us, 100 years of God's faithfulness toward us, 100 years of the goodness of God displayed to us, One of the things we wanna to do to celebrate 100 years is just pass that goodness along. By God's grace, just pass that goodness along. So what we're trying to do is raise $150,000 to bless three new church startups here in our state. We're 100 years old. We wanted to find some some churches that were 36 months old or 24 months old and say throughout 100 years, throughout a century, God has been so good to us, we want to be good to some church startups who are just beginning the journey of reaching people with the gospel of Christ. And the first church we're gonna support is Logos Baptist Church. You see them on the screen behind me. You see Pastor Manny Martinez. Uh, Pastor Manny and his wife, they have a leadership team. They planted a church in Brownsville, Texas, specifically reaching second-generation Hispanics. Um, Logos has been around for about three years now. I think I think they're celebrating their three-year anniversary or three-three-year yeah anniversary this summer. Um, Manny will tell you that when he preaches on Sunday morning, he preaches in Spanglish, is what he says, half Spanish, half English, to try to make sure that everyone is is understanding. He and his wife, the worship leader and his wife, are going to drive up for Centennial. Are going to be here. I love the picture you see. I think in the upper right-hand corner. Of, of baptism they've been been baptizing new believers they have they have seen many people come into faith in, in Christ and they're excited they, they they were shocked when we reached out to them and said, hey, for our centennial, can we give you money? Can we help you on on your beginning and so the goal is one hundred and fifty thousand so each of these churches get fifty thousand dollars just to say we're we're for you and God has been good toward us we want to pass that goodness. Along The second church is a New Direction Fellowship down in Austin, and you see a picture of Pastor B.J. Henry that's up there as well. In the upper right-hand corner, that's their leadership team. And then the ND, New Direction T-shirts, below is their worship team. Uh, Their heart is to reach musicians and African-Americans in Central Austin. And they have been around now for about two and a half years, about two years in the Austin area. And this is gonna be super fun. They're bringing their entire church congregation to the centennial that now. They're driving up from Austin. Um, There's gonna be 47 of them. That's what their church is now, 47. And they are super excited about being here. I I wish I would have recorded the phone calls when I reached out to all these pastors and said, again, for our centennial, can we give you money? For our celebration, can we be a blessing to to you so their entire church family is is gonna be here on that May 7th evening at the Extra Coast Center uh, that evening at six o'clock. The third church we wanna support is Trailview Church and they're up in the Burleson area. They've been around also for about two and a half years. Uh, Pastor Derek Kimes, you see a picture of he and his family that was from their Easter just a few weeks ago, their picture. Uh, They're reaching families in the suburbs of of Fort Worth and um, same thing, their, their entire leadership team, I think they're bringing about 15 or so from their church on that night. And they're so encouraged that we would take some time to pray for them, take some time to, to bless them financially as as well on, on that night. And so if you want to go and grab a phone, you're welcome to do that. The next is gonna have a little QR code on it. If you're interested in, in giving, um, you can grab a QR code. And, and um, let me just say this, I know that our church has a, a lot of college students. In fact, 10 o'clock seems to be that's a great time it seems for college students to get up, be here, still have time to go study, whatever you do on Sunday afternoon, sleep, whatever it is that happens on Sunday afternoon. Uh, I would I would encourage, even challenge our college students. Don't just let the non-college people give. What if our college students gave, I don't know, I'll just throw out a number, $20. I mean, I could have thrown out 200, so I did say 20. $20 per college student. I mean, that's, We have about 1,000 college students this morning. What if our college students raised 20,000 dollars of that $150,000? I mean, what an incredible, legacy for us to raise this money. And that evening, the the, the number's gonna be revealed of how much was, was raised. And personally, I think that Highland should have no problem at all raising $150,000 to distribute to these, these three churches. Um, everything that's given to missions today, we're gonna to give to these three churches because what, what more says missions than helping three church plants. Uh, you can give out in the, in the lobby today at the kiosk. You can go online this afternoon. You can capture that QR code. Uh, you can go through the Highland app. But, but this is basically the, the, the sentiment of Ari Smith's point. By God's grace, we just get to distribute goodness to others. I mean, every one of us in this house would have to say, God has been good to Highland for 100 years. Therefore, we receive that goodness and we pass that goodness along. Here's the second point that Ari Smith made about this passage. God is a stronghold in days of trouble. He's a stronghold. Um, you learned part of this word in Hebrew last week. You learned the word um, oz last week, which means strong. But this word is meos. And it's, it's kind of the foundational word of Masada, like a fortress. He's a stronghold. He's our hiding place. He's a safe place. He's, he's our shelter. God is our security because you probably have lived long enough to know this by now. Nothing else is secure. But God is our security. And, and I think about it about Ari e. Smith when he, when he preached this. Here, he's probably closing in on 60 years old. He was born the year the Civil War wrapped up, 1865. I mean, think, think what he has seen so far in, in his life. He has already seen the first great world war come and go. And yet he is, he is saying right here that, that, that God is our, is our stronghold in days of trouble. And here's this one sub-point to this, and we all have days of trouble. I mean, what was true in the 1920s is true in the 2020s as well. There are days of life that are just just troubling. There's some in this room, you have come out of trouble recently. There are some in this house today, you're right in the middle of the days of trouble. And I hate to be discouraging, but if you haven't come out of it or in it, your head is straight toward it. Like that's life here on, on, on earth. Suffering is a part of the Christian life. And yet we see here, God is our stronghold in our days of trouble. And here's a 60-something-year-old pastor that stands before his people almost 100 years ago, and he says, and all of us have days of trouble. Still true today. Thirdly, lastly, he says this. He, meaning God, knows the ones who trust in him. Look at the very end of of, of verse seven. The ESV renders it this way. He knows, God knows those who take refuge in Him, God knows the ones who trust in Him, and basically, you see two benefits. By the way, to to this third point. First of all, we have someone to trust. We have someone at the beginning, very end of verse three, in whom we can take we can take refuge. I, I, I'm thinking we've all lived long enough in this room to realize we can't trust ourselves. We can't trust our emotions. We can't trust our feelings. We we can't trust our circumstances. We can't trust our situations. But but here is one in whom we can trust. There's a God we can always trust. That's the first benefit. There is one that we can trust. But here's the second benefit to, to this thought. God knows us. To those in this house who find refuge in God, to those in this house who trust God, God knows us. In other words, he is He is aware of us. God is aware of our situations. He's aware of our lives. He cares for us. He knows your name. He has a concern for your life. This is the God who has a concern for his people. God sees those who trust in him. He he knows the names of those who find a refuge in him. Did you notice how heavy verses one through six were? I mean, wrath, I'm not sure I pointed this out to you. Verse two, he's jealous, but also in verse two, he's avenging. Then we see for the second time in verse two, he's avenging. And then we see that he's wrathful. Then we see at the very end of verse two, for the third time, he takes vengeance on his adversaries. And then for the second time, he keeps wrath for his enemies. And that's just verse two. So here is God, this this, this entire chapter is about about judgment. But in the middle of the wrath of, of chapter one, God remembers his mercy toward his people. He's good. A stronghold in days of trouble and he knows those who take refuge in him. Would you stand with me please for us to pray together? God, you are our stronghold. You are our fortress, our hiding place in the days of trouble and we all have days of trouble. God, you know the ones who trust in you What a benefit that we even have someone we can trust. And then, more beautiful than that, we have a God who knows us because we trust him. God, you're aware of us, you're aware of our situations. Thank you for knowing us and being the one in whom we can trust and find refuge. We praise you today for your goodness toward us. The Lord is good. It's in the name of the Son, the one who came to display that goodness toward us, that we pray, in the name of Jesus, amen. We're gonna sing a song that speaks of this fortress nature of God, that he's, he's our strong rock, our strong tower, Our hiding place. You're welcome to take advantage of this song, to leverage this song by just coming and kneeling here at the front if you want to, and just kneel before this God who is good, to kneel before this God who is a stronghold in your days of trouble, this God who knows you, this God in whom you can take refuge. If you are in the middle of the days of trouble, we'll have some staff members here at the front that would love to pray with you, and you'll see them as you come down the aisle. They'll be kind of facing you, and just just tell them, "Here's, here's my trouble, here's my situation, would you pray for me? Or feel the freedom to walk right past them and come and kneel before the Lord. His posture toward you is goodness. Let's sing.